Smartphones. They're everywhere today, officially or unofficially, but how secure are they? Hi, this is Tom Field, Editorial Director with Information Security Media Group. I'm talking today with Bob Janicek, Chief Technology Officer and Founder of Datamotion. Bob, thanks so much for joining me. Yeah, hi, Tom. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to speaking about smartphone security. Well, let's talk about this this sort of rhetorical question I asked up front, Bob. We know that officially or unofficially, every organization is servicing smartphones these days. Are they secure? Well, that's an interesting question, Tom. Um, you know, the early waves of smartphones um, were basically driven by, um, by businesses, and they were issued uh, to their employees. Um, these were phones like the BlackBerry and Windows Mobile 6. And the reason they were given out to employees was they gave the organization a lot of control um, over central management and also security. Uh, but what we see today with today's wave of smartphones that are pressing into the enterprise, um, phones like the iPhone and uh, phones that are based on Google Android, they were really targeted toward consumers. And they, the security and central management um, is either non-existent or it took a significant backseat in their design. Uh, so what's happening is individuals are bringing these into the workplace, they're pressing their IT staff to hook them up into the corporate network, and you have devices that are as powerful in effect as laptops, but and they have access to the email systems and all the you know, internal systems through VPN, but they really weren't built with the concept of security and central control. And then another area that um, surprises a lot of organizations um, is related to the security of the devices as, they, as it relates to um, messages. Um, BlackBerry has gotten a lot of attention recently in the press where foreign governments um, are asking BlackBerry to hand over their keys, for instance, so they can monitor and intercept messages. So that is perpetuating a myth that if you use a BlackBerry device, that the messages um, are secure and that you don't need any other security um, to send sensitive data. In reality, though, BlackBerry is acting in a very similar way to other email clients. The hop from the device to its server is secure. Now, in BlackBerry's case, their server is in Canada, and so the, the first hop leaves a foreign country's borders in encrypted form all the way to Canada. That can't be eavesdropped by those countries, you know, by those governments. But once it goes from the server across the Internet to the recipient, it's just like any other standard email system in that the messages go in the clear. Uh, so the, you know, we see in the, in the marketplace where companies have a full sense of security and actually they put themselves at risk in violating various uh, privacy regulations. Well, Bob, you make an interesting point because in a m number of cases here, the smartphones are being introduced by the end users who feel they're doing the organization a favor because they're extending their availability, they're able to work remotely, and yet it sounds like they're opening their organizations to some vulnerabilities they might not suspect. And I'd like to know more about some of those vulnerabilities. These devices are powerful enough uh, to connect to an organization's um, internal servers and email systems. Uh, and... You know, that's one of the reasons why they're so popular with users. Um, unfortunately, though, um, these devices are with us all the time for work and for personal use. Uh, and an, an alarming number of them are lost. Uh, I had just read a report that said in the United Kingdom alone, 
over four and a half million mobile phones are lost or damaged in one year. So this causes a large security and a liability risk for organizations, both from phones falling into the wrong hands and also for those that are sent out for repair that can still access the corporation's email systems and internal systems through VPN. Another um, key vulnerability um, is malware. Um, and as the recent um, uh, Google Android uh, Marketplace incident has shown, it's quite easy to get malware um, installed by unsuspecting smartphone users. In Android's case, uh, there were about two dozen malicious applications that were uh, put in, the, in their app store. And they were downloaded by over 100,000 users. So these applications, because they're running on devices that are very powerful, also can do, uh, you know, have a lot of power to do harm. Uh, they can access data that's on the phones and transmit them to the remote servers of hackers. They can even be used as bots that can be taken over by hackers and remotely controlled when the device is connected into internal systems. So the the idea that you have a uh, a very powerful platform, but you don't really have like, that similar combination of strong security controls really presents a, a big vulnerability to organizations. Bob, you mentioned a term a few minutes ago I want to pick up on, and that's secure email. It strikes me as something that's critical for organizations and end users alike to know more about. What are the areas that, that maybe are most misunderstood about secure email? Sure. Well, one of the things is a lot of organizations feel that that you know email is secure, and they have to log into their email client. Uh, let's say Microsoft Outlook is accessed by logging into their desktop. They then compose a message, they click send, and it magically appears on the other side. And so they don't really think about email from a, the perspective of security at all. It just it just happens. But what's going on behind the scenes is that once the message goes from the email client to the server, it's then sent over the public Internet um, through a web of connections. And in order to make the Internet resilient and, and redundant in case there's failures, there are usually numerous hops and routes that a message can take when it goes uh, from point A to B, even if it's going to a company that's across the street. It may end up traveling from New Jersey down to Florida, over to Texas and back, you know, through all types of systems and such, many of which are logging and archiving along the way. So, And what they see is plain text messages. So if you're in the financial uh, industry, for instance, and you're sending client data, you're sending credit card information, statements, mortgage applications, um, social security numbers to clients, the, the risk is there that many systems along the way will have copies of that, uh, which is in violation of privacy laws. Um, now, from a mobile perspective, you know, these, you know, once again, these, these devices are, are, are just like laptops, just a little bit smaller. The same rules apply. Um, they're very powerful devices. They can interact with all types of, types of data, and users really need to be empowered to be able to send messages securely from their mobile devices in a similar way that many organizations have implemented secure email on their desktops. And so the challenge, though, with mobile devices is that, especially with the iPhones and the Androids, is that their, their popularity is largely driven by how easy they are to use. And 
the challenge for secure email vendors like ourselves, Datamotion, is creating a secure email um, interface, uh, an experience for the user that's as easy as uh, using standard email on those devices for the user. So what we've done is we've completely integrated secure email into the existing email client of the iPhone, the iPad, Android, um, basically any of the modern smartphones. If the user knows how to use the standard email interface, they'll also know how to use the secure mail interface. And that's for sending messages, for reading messages. Uh, there's no additional passwords or keys. They don't have to launch another app and see what's going on in that other app. Is there secure email in that app? It's, com it's completely built into the email client, so much so that even when a new secure mail message comes into the device, the mail icon will light up and show that there's an unread message waiting. Well, Bob, that's good insight. Now, I know you've thought an awful lot about smartphones and you've put together even a, a series of tips for organizations. Do you mind if I ask you about a few specific areas where maybe you can offer some tips? Yeah, sure, that'd be great. Uh, the first one I want to ask you about is policies, and it strikes me with, that with smartphones, like with social media, policies might be something that, that it's a sort of a new thought to organizations that they even need to have them. Right, well, the um, policies, you know, once again, we have to we have to look at smartphones, you know, just like laptops and desktop computers, but they're just as powerful. And um, organizations need to have policies governing their, their assets, uh, specifically uh, their use of computers and laptops, and, and what happens, for instance, if a laptop gets lost. There needs to be procedures uh, written out in policies that instruct employees as to what to do. Um, in the same way, there needs to be policies governing smartphones. Uh, for instance, if the the device is lost or stolen, um, you know, what does the employee do? There also needs to be policies that set various security settings, um, such as the boot up and screensaver passwords, requiring encryption on the device, making sure that there is an email profile on the device that allows for sending secure email. These are all part of a um, you know, the policy that uh, should be extended to smartphones you know, to make sure that the, that the organization is protected. Another topic I want to discuss with you is data loss. What are some of the areas that organizations should be thinking about in terms of, of just securing the data that users are walking out with on these devices? Right. Well, the encryption should be turned on on the devices, but you know, unfortunately, the you know the encryption is typically automatic, and which means it'll encrypt you know, automatically and it'll decrypt automatically. So it may be in memory on the device encrypted, but um, you know, if somebody tries to access it, it's going to decrypt it for them you know, without them even trying. Um, but fortunately, though, uh, from a data loss perspective, um, you know, smartphones do present some good news. And you know, it's rare that you know, documents are authored on smartphones. Um, you know, they're typically used for consuming, consuming data and maybe making some minor modifications. So the documents are typically stored elsewhere on servers or on desktops. So if a smartphone is lost, you're not going to lose original work. So in addition, though, um, to ensure that data doesn't fall into wrong hands, I'll go back to that IT security policy that says that you should have um, a, a, a pin that's needed when the device is first booted in case it's lost and gets in the wrong hands. Or if the device is just left on a desk and left unattended when the user tries to get in or someone who doesn't own the phone, it should prompt for that same pin to gain access to the data. So the data at rest is protected um, through a PIN, but also 
the loss of data or original data is really minimal since the data probably resides in other systems as well. Bob, you hinted at this earlier, and that's the topic of theft. And, you know, we know just from our own reading that so many data breaches these days are the result of a lost or stolen mobile device. And, and I hear from CISOs that one of their biggest issues is that their users, not just that the devices are stolen, but that the users often don't know that they're lost or stolen. What can be done about some of these, these risks? Right. Well, um, going back to the, the concept of central control, and IT policies, you know, that, that combination um, is really used to address you know, lost or stolen devices. Uh, the central control means that you know, if a device is lost or stolen, that the IT staff can issue a remote command to, for instance, wipe the device. Um, and also, they can, um, the IT policy uh, should instruct the employee to contact the IT staff, let them know so they can change the names and passwords for the email for their VPN and such. You want to be able to change the credentials that may be cached on a device uh, so that if someone recovers the device and tries to get to internal systems, that there's a new set of credentials. One of the other topics you brought up a few minutes ago is malware. And it strikes me when I talk with experts in this area that when it comes to smartphones, malware is, is sort of a burgeoning market. The, the Sort of the fraudsters are just discovering this as a is a great opportunity for them. It strikes me that this puts us all on warning. Right. Right. Well, malware is is the big issue. You know, what happened is the the capabilities and the processing power of smartphones um, is really exciting. It's, it's, it's enabling them to take on a lot of the capabilities of laptops and desktops. But these devices are written on new operating systems, and the the security vendors and security aspects of the smartphones, you really haven't had time to catch up with the capabilities of the phones and the types of threats that the malware applications are presenting. Um, so, you know, as that example in the Google Marketplace shows, you know, it's, it's easy for end users to install applications on the phones, and it's also easy for a, an app developer to put in you know, malicious code to access you know, external systems. So, one of the ways to prevent this uh, was what the BlackBerry uses and also what Windows Mobile 6 uses, and that's called a central whitelist, where the IT staff can define which applications are allowed to be installed on the phone, and they do that from a central location. So for those devices to connect to the network, they have to basically follow that whitelist, ensuring that you know, rogue programs don't get installed. Unfortunately, with the iPhone and the Android uh, and their, their lack of uh, security controls, they don't allow application whitelisting. In fact, a big part of their desirability is that they allow consumers to download all these marvelous apps and games and Facebook connectors and such from their app stores. And Apple lists hundreds of thousands of applications that the consumer can download. Um, that kind of goes against the concept of central IT department whitelisting uh, and controlling only what they can use. Uh, in certain environments, though, you know, that are you know, especially sensitive, uh, I recommend having um, phones you know, like the Android and iPhone issued to users and having the app installation password already set by the IT department. So the end user doesn't know about 
that password. They're not able to install applications on their own. Um, hopefully, the IT department has a, a charitable policy about installing some games and such on the devices, but uh, you know, allowing the users to use them as a consumer, as a personal device, and a business device. Um, but yet, at the same time, keeping an eye on the applications that the users are, are installing. Bob, one last area I want to ask you about is remote capabilities. And I assume when we talk about remote capabilities, we're talking about more than the the poison pill where, you know, the IT department sends out a, a signal to disable a lost or a stolen device. Yeah, unfortunately, we, we've gone a little backwards here. Uh, it's unusual in technology to take big steps backward. But, you know, for years, BlackBerry and Windows Mobile 6 um, have have had very uh, robust remote capabilities. Um, BlackBerry lists on their website that there's about 300 different parameters that could be centrally or remotely controlled on the devices. And you know, Windows Mobile has basically had a lot of years to catch up with BlackBerry, and they also have a very extensive list of capabilities that can be remotely controlled. Um, now, just going back to though the iPhones and the Androids and the devices that people want to get into the organization, you know, out of the you know, 100 plus controls that are available uh, through the Microsoft um, ActiveSync environment and Microsoft Exchange, um, the iPhone and Android um, only recognize a few of those 100 plus settings. So while there are some capabilities for remote control, um, you know, there's, these new devices have a long way to go before being as comprehensive as you know, what organizations you know, Came comfortable with with the BlackBerry and, and Windows Mobile Six. Bob, we've touched upon an awful lot here. And it strikes me that any one of the, the topics that we discuss, whether it's data loss or theft or malware, could have been a conversation in and of itself. But to boil it down, for organizations that are just now starting to address the challenge of securing their smartphones, where's a good starting point? Well, I think the um, five. Um, tips that, that we just discussed um, you know, deserve to be reviewed and, and drilled down. Um, if an organization can address you know, those five areas, they're really off to a great start. Um, in addition, uh, based on the types of phones that are being requested to be connected to the corporate network, you know, whether they're from Apple or Android or you know, BlackBerry or, or Microsoft, um, each one of those operating system vendors has a rather complete website detailing their enterprise capabilities and also the, their security profile. Um, in fact, um, Microsoft has a site for users of uh, Microsoft Exchange and um, ActiveSync, uh, which actually lists all of the properties that ActiveSync can control and on a device-by-device -device basis lists which one of those properties are, are controllable and which ones are ignored by the device. So an IT staff can get a good idea if they're going to allow a phone into an environment, which capabilities are they able to control and which ones aren't they. And the third area I think where an organization should, should look into is you know, these operating systems, especially the, you know, the iPhones and, and Androids and iPads, they're very new. And instead of having operating system updates every several years, you know, like organizations were used to with Windows, these OSs are being updated you know, quarterly or you know, every six months with, with major new versions. So it's really important to stay up with the trends 
know, in mobile security, not only from the operating system perspective, but also from what third-party vendors are offering to supplement security. And you know, I would recommend you know, a, a quick internet search you know, on mobile security, for instance, uh, that you know, will quickly uncover blogs and magazine articles that focus on mobile security, just kind of keeping up to date that way, because it is a very, very rapidly evolving field. Well, Bob, it's great insight. I appreciate your time and your thoughts today on smartphones. Well, it's been my pleasure. Thanks, Tom. The topic has been securing smartphones. We've been talking with Bob Janicek, Chief Technology Officer and Founder with Data Motion. To find out more about smartphones and security, visit www.datamotion.com. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tom Field. Thank you very much.